This is Your Path with Bishop Mark from Dallas Universal Life Church in Dallas, Texas. Forget what you think you know about church. with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Then Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and not to lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people. In that city there was a widow who kept coming to him and saying, Grant me justice against my opponent. For a while he refused, but later he said to himself, Though I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone, Yet, because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice, so that she may not wear me out by continually coming. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long in helping them? I tell you, he will quickly grant justice to them. And yet, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? The true gospel of the Lord. Praise to the Lord, the word, the light. Okay, be seated, please. I say good afternoon to you. Jesus told his disciples a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. At the outset, note that we are informed of the reason Jesus delivered his, this parable to his disciples. He is teaching us that we are to pray and not lose heart. Even when it seems as if the Lord hasn't heard, we need to understand that God does hear us. And then we need to keep on praying. Just because our God doesn't immediately give us what we ask does not mean that our request has not been heard. Are you not humbled by the revelation given in Paul's encouragement to the Romans? 
you will recall that the Apostle has written, The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for, what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the, what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. It's from Romans chapter 8, verse 26 and 27. Now that's humbling. We do not know what to pray for as we ought. Of course, we know this is correct since we can't see the end of, of the matter. However, that doesn't change our sense of immediate need because this is the time and the place we now occupy. Moreover, we cannot know the impact of our life on the lives of others. We can't see the impact in the lives of others from decisions that we make. This is especially true when others are grappling with decisions. They may be weighing the decisions they must make in light of what they witness in our own lives. We are unable to see what God is doing in the lives of others as we serve Him. Our requests of Him are always colored by our physical experience. So upon sober reflection, we understand that we cannot possibly know what we should ask of God. So Jesus instructed believers that we should always pray and not lose heart. Is there anyone among us who doesn't believe this is to be true? And yet, what will you do when those times arise, and they will surely come, when you're talking to heaven and suddenly the call is dropped? You will likely quickly attempt to reconnect. But what happens when no one is picking up on the other end? What will you do? Maybe one of our problems is that we are addicted to the immediate. I mean, what, what, people, what did people do back in those days so long ago when they were forced to write a letter, seal it in an envelope, put a stamp on it on the envelope and drop the letter in a postal box. Remember those days? Do people actually have to wait for a week to receive an answer to their letter? Is it really true that sometimes they waited for two weeks? And is it actually the case that people used to have to find a payphone if they wished to make a call and they were always away from, they were away from their home or away from the office? It's true. Was there actually a time when people got their daily news from a newspaper or perhaps from a news broadcast at 6.30 each evening? You see, what I'm getting at is that we have become addicted to the immediate. We pick up our phone, that little handheld computer, and everything is right now. We want our answers immediately, and we can't understand why God should delay. Though we don't think about it, much of our relationship with the Lord is based on feeling. We want to feel that He is near. We want to feel that we have immediate acceptance. We want to feel that He cares. And yet, we walk by faith and not by sight. Our Lord has promised, I will never leave you nor forsake you, and we accept his presence by faith. God urges us to draw near to the throne of grace and to do so with confidence, and we do draw near by faith. What we may feel is immaterial. We are, we are taught in the word to cast all our anxieties on him because he cares for you. And the knowledge that he cares for us is realized through faith, not because we feel cared for. Perhaps it will help if you realize that when you feel as if God has turned his back on you, that you are not the first to feel that way. Did you ever consider how often people have struggled with exactly these feelings as described in the word? Recall the account of God commanding Abraham to sacrifice his son. In scripture, we read of the divine test. What we, bring, what we read brings a mix of emotions to the, to the conscientious among us. God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Mor Moriah, 
and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come, come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on, the, on, Isaac, laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. Do you actually believe that Abraham had no questions as he, as he trudged up that mountain? When Isaac questioned where the lamb was, wouldn't you suppose that his father's heart was silently crying out to God? God, where are you? God, isn't it time to step in and spare this, this son of, of promise which you gave to us? I can imagine that Abraham's heart cried out repeatedly and his cries were met by silence. And Moses wandered in the desert for years, longing for God to talk, to do something, anything. He knew that God has appointed him to deliver his people, but God compelled him to run to the most desolate place imaginable. Don't you imagine that Moses' heart often cried out to God? Wouldn't you think that when watching those sheep that he often prayed, pleading with God, and all he got in return was silence. Job's life imploded. Everything God had given him was taken away in one fell swoop. As you read the book that tells of his trials, it is obvious that he wanted answers from God, and yet God was silent. David often wrote of God's silence. Here are some examples of, of, his, of his writings to God and, and cries out to God. You have seen, O Lord, be not silent. O Lord, be not far from me. O God, do not keep silence. Do not hold your peace or be still, O God. Be not silent, O God of my praise. It is obvious that the psalmist struggled with feeling isolated and with feeling ignored. And yet, as we read the psalms, it is evident that God was always at work, always doing something greater than the psalmist could imagine. In the same way, we can be confident that our Father is not ignoring us. He's not uncaring when we are frightened or threatened. God knows. And God is planning something greater than we could ever imagine. Paul begged God to relieve his suffering, or at least explain to him why it was necessary for him to suffer. The apostle writes, A thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Now, Paul's prayer was not answered. Surely none of us are so spiritually obtuse to imagine that his prayer was flawed, that he was dishonoring God and asking for relief. Speaking of his prayer after describing the experiences through which he had passed, beatings, stonings, shipwrecks, adrift at sea, constant danger and always on the move, working to the point of exhaustion to supply the needs of his, of his companions and to prepare for his ministry to the, to, to the churches, we must believe that Paul offered a prayer straight from his heart. So very often people have told me that they came to God with a prayer. They came in a crisis and prayed for the life of a loved one that had, uh, that they, and for a they had prayed for the life of a loved one and that that loved one had died. They were earnest in their request as they pleaded with God to spare their loved one. 
because God didn't give them what they wanted, they have concluded that they will no longer have dealings with a God who would not answer that one prayer. In their mind, that one prayer was a make-or-break deal for their faith. Paul's prayer was a pretty significant request of God, but Paul said he could see around him. Even with that thorn which God would not take away, Paul could see a providence, a power, and a grace that more than made up for the refusal to remove the thorn. God's goodness, God's grace, God's promises all around that we were more than sufficient to, be, to, to enable the apostle to live in faith in the presence of a no. I have no doubt that Paul's prayer was earnest. How could it be otherwise? It was a prayer offered by a man who was fully dedicated to God. Nevertheless, what he asked for was not granted. He asked three times, but it doesn't require much imagination to think that whatever his thorn might have been, the apostle confronted the pain on a regular basis. It was only after repeated pleas that God at last gave an answer, and the answer given could not have been what Paul wanted. God seemed to ignore his apostle, but he had something even greater in mind for Paul. Christ would supply grace, something that the flesh would not welcome, but precisely what was needed if the power of the living God was to be manifested in Paul's life. Paul prayed for relief and God gave him grace. Did you hear that? Paul prayed for relief and God gave him grace. Can we actually speak of the silence of the Lord God and not examine one of the most moving prayers found in the Gospels? Our master was facing the cross and the weight of bearing the sin of mankind pressed down on his soul. We read of, his, of Jesus' struggle taking three of his disciples with him into the garden, identified as Gethsemane. Jesus confessed, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Then he prayed, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And heaven was silent. Soon after the Savior prayed again, My Father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And the Father said not a word. One final time Jesus pleaded, saying the same thing, and God was silent. The time had come, and Jesus ceased praying, having never received answers to his cries. We are provided insight into what was happening when that unknown writer later informs us in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of... Um, <laughs> I, this one always gets me. The order of Melchizedek. 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 Jesus didn't receive what he asked. He was given something far greater, something that would bless mankind and glorify the living God. Clearly, it is part of the human condition that people should long for feelings of intimacy. And our desire for intimacy with him whom we call Father leads us to an expectation of immediacy. Even a cursory review of those who have gone before us in the faith reveals that our struggle to understand God's silence is not unique to us. If you go away from this message with no other understanding than that your Heavenly Father is not ignoring you, 
that he is always working for your good and for his glory, that he will rescue you in accordance with his perfect will, you will have achieved something great. I'm speaking to people who struggle with questions, real questions. I'm speaking to those people who wonder why God would choose to be silent when they cry out. You have faith in the Son of God and you know that he invites you to come to his throne of grace. And yet when you do come, you wonder why it seems as if God is ignoring you. You wonder what could be wrong with you that God is silent. I'm convinced that God is not ignoring you. After all, you are his child. In the parable Jesus told, the parable that forms our text today, he teaches us to keep on asking. Jesus reminds us that God will answer in accordance with his will, and he will answer according to the perfect timing that will be best. Persisting in prayer will glorify God, and when he answers, what is given will be far superior to anything you could have imagined. Will not God give justice to his elect? who cry to him day and night. Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Luke chapter 18, verse 7 and 8. As you read the parable which Jesus told you, you realize that he gave rich encouragement to all who hear what he said. As he draws the parable to a conclusion, he frames the the promise in such a manner that one can only answer yes when Jesus asks, will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? When we read these wor- those words, we know that Jesus is reminding us that God delights to give good gifts to his people and he will not ignore them forever. Perhaps you will recall a lesson Jesus gave his disciples. The master said, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me, th- lend me three, three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me, the door is now shut. And my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The promise the Master made in our text raises and answers some serious questions. Among those questions is this, to whom is the divine promise given? Carefully reading the text, I note that the promise appears to be made to the elect, those who are in view and denoted as crying to God day and night. It appears obvious that the Master delivered his, this parable to encourage his followers, those precious individuals who seek his glory and who lift their hearts in prayer to him. Jesus is seeking to encourage his people to pray persistently, to pray expectantly, to pray confidently. So here's the question. Here is the question. Do you pray? Do you pray persistently, expectantly, confidently? This is God's desire for each follower of Christ. Another question asked and answered is, what is the promise God has made? According to the text, God will give justice to his people, and he shall do so speedily. Jesus' words are framed in such a way that a positive conclusion is expected. 
Jesus said, Will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Either God is just or God is unjust. There's no middle ground in this issue. We can be assured that God is just. Since God is just, it is appropriate that he promises a justice to his people. And if God has somehow dissimulated, then we should not serve him. However, with the apostle, I contend God is true, even if everyone else is a liar. Each twice-born follower of the Savior will agree with this assessment. God does not lie. God speaks truth. When someone has the temerity to complain that God is not fair, is not that person focused on his or her own desired outcome of a given situation? Isn't it because that individual has situated himself or herself at the center of life that that person would even think of complaining about what God has done? And because we have situated ourselves where we determine we want to be what we what we want to be, anything that makes us uncomfortable is deemed bad. That makes sense. When some Christians were complaining about God's sovereign choice, the apostle challenged, "Who are you, O oh man, to answer back to God?" Well, what is molded? Well, what is molded? Say to its molder. Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory? Even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, not from the Jews only but also from the Gentiles. We forget that we are not the center of the world, not even our own world. And we, who are followers of the risen Christ, have made him the ruler over our lives. There is no longer any aspect of life which we claim control. We have crowned him as master and seated him on the throne of life. We no longer have a right to claim mastery over over our situation because we have surrendered that right to Christ the Lord. What is expected of those who will receive the promise? The context of the parable appears to indicate that the Son of Man expects that his people will continue to trust him. God's people are expected to propagate the faith. Since the question is raised, will the Son of Man find faith on earth at his coming? In light of the progressive drift from diligence to pursue righteousness, in light of the tendency to seek personal comfort rather than opportunity to serve the risen Savior, can our Master expect to find the churches doing what he commanded as he ascended into heaven? Jesus had just spoken of his purpose in coming to earth. The Lord had testified, The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Emphasizing this point, Jesus told a parable meant to instruct the righteous. This is the parable Jesus told. A noble man went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minus and said to them, Engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered the servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him, saying, Lord, your mina has has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, your mina has made five five minas. 
And he said to him, And you are to be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit, and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank? And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, Take the mina from him and give it to the one who has the ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine, who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. In light of what Jesus expressed purpose, which was to seek and to save the lost. His return to heaven meant that his servants were to engage in business until he comes. Those who are called by his name will be busy about his business throughout the day until he comes again. And Jesus' business is the salvation of souls. This was, you will remember, his final command to his people. Therefore, as you go, disciple people in all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you each and every day until the end of the age. The heart of the Master longs for salvation of lost people. The tender heart of Jesus is for lost people to be saved, and he has charged his followers to bring the lost to him that he might save them. In order to stay on track for this particular message, note that your personal comfort is not the priority of the Master. It is obvious that the priority of the risen Savior is the salvation of lost people. Does the Lord give rich gifts to people? Yes. The Lord is richly, richly munificent toward the all people. We know that God makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. We are encouraged to ask for what we need when Jesus teaches. I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks it will be opened. Jesus then applied what he had just said when he told his disciples, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give a fish, give, instead of a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Clearly, the Master is urging disciples to seek what will equip them to serve as God assigns rather than seeing our relationship to the living Lord as some sort of cosmic Amazon store that is just waiting to ship out what we want for our personal comfort. It is only when we realize our helpless condition that we will be able to discover what our true needs are. Only when we reach the end of our own abilities can we expect to learn what real hope and faith are. The more we have, the less we hope for. The more we are able to do, the less we hope. In the midst of our success, it seems that we have been, we have become a people who have a, who have a lack of hope. We are hopeless in the face of climbing divorce rates, so we bring in no-fault divorce. We are hopeless before our inability to change society, so we build more and more, more and larger prisons. We are hopeless when we witness families choosing to sacrifice the life of the unborn, so we will protest by standing silently in the cold.
to be a person of faith in a very real sense, to realize that you are defeated. It is to die, to not be able to get what we want, to have our prayers refused so that we have to come and admit that hope is exactly what we cannot get for ourselves. Nevertheless, hope is the gift that must be given if we are to have any sort of life. Maybe our persistent prayers for our own agenda are not answered so that we are forced to discover that if we are to find the kingdom of God, it has to be given to us. We cannot bring the kingdom of God to pass even with our demanding prayers. For that kingdom to become reality, we need to live in faith. We need to hope and trust in the love of God to give it to us. You have prayed, but the request you continue to make is not being answered. Yet you must admit that you have around you enough of the gifts of God to sustain you. We have all we need and more. Maybe this bounty that characterizes our lives is a reminder to all of us when our persistent prayer is not heard that we need to step back and look at the whole picture. Is this one matter? Is this one prayer? Is this one thing, one need big enough to cause you to give up? Quitting God if he does not answer it the way you want. Again, we should ask, when will the promise be fulfilled? The whole of this parable spins about a point identified as when the Son of Man comes. The answer to this question is, I don't know. And perhaps immediately. No one knows when the Son of Man will return. The Master cautioned his disciples, concerning that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. Those who engage in speculation concerning the time of Christ's return are deluded, or perhaps they are simply evil and seeking to confuse the faithful. Jesus then told a parable concerning a slothful servant who failed to anticipate the return of his master. The conclusion of the parable was an abomination to stay awake. Excuse me, my, my bad. The conclusion of the parable was an, an admonition. Why do I have trouble with this word? Ad, admonition. Admonition. The conclusion of the parable was an admonition to stay awake. The conclusion of the parable was an instruction to stay awake. Jesus warned the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. Disciples don't know when the master will return. They must be ready for an imminent return. He followed up this teaching with a, another parable telling of virgins, part of a wedding party, who were appointed to meet the bridegroom, escorting him to his bride. Five of these virgins prepared for an extended wait, bringing extra oil for their lamps. And five of the virgins didn't anticipate that they would be required to wait, so they failed to bring extra oil. The master concluded that the, parable, the parable by admonishing his disciples. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Now what Jesus taught was emphasized by the apostle to the Gentiles when he wrote the Thessalonian Christians, Concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. The scripture makes it obvious that no one knows when the master will return, but those who are his disciples must anticipate that his return is imminent. Jesus promised and the Father has said it will be soon, so the follower of the Savior must be prepared for what is surely coming. I don't say that you should sell all you have, dress in white robes, and climb up on your roof to await Jesus' return, but you must know that he is coming soon. And because he is coming soon, each of us who know him, or perhaps I should say that each of us who are known by him, are responsible to do what he commanded. We are to take care of his business. 
We are to call all people to faith in the coming Savior. And we are to live righteous, holy lives to the praise of his glory. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? The question Jesus posed is meant to stimulate thinking. Each one reading this, this periscope should be drawn to reflect on the condition of the faith at, his, at this particular time and project, project to that time when the Master returns. Will the practice of the faith at the return of the Master survive? Will there be faithful servants found at the return of the Master? Will there, will there be, still be pastors who stand firmly for the things of God, calling the lost to life in the risen Savior? Because these concerns are voiced by the Master himself, we should be concerned for the state of that faith. We should be concerned for our own participation in the faith. Shouldn't we be stirred to action by what, we're, what we observe among the churches today? And shouldn't our prayers reflect our love for the Master? Shouldn't our prayers be marked by sorrow that lost people have not yet come to faith in the Son of God? Shouldn't we be a people who plead for the salvation of lost people, beginning with our own families? Okay, preacher, you have convinced me that I should be concerned for the cause of Christ. You have convinced me that the state of the faith today is not healthy. But you haven't answered the question of why God delayed answering my prayer. You seem to ignore my real question. When will God give me the answer to what I'm asking? One answer, an answer you may not wish to hear, is that the answer will come, may come well after you are gone from this earth. Here's another response to your question, a response you may not wish to hear. There is the reality that some of our persistent prayers can't be answered forever as we want them. All of our prayers for health and life and happiness for those we love will eventually be answered in the negative because there is the reality of death for all of us. When our parents, our friends, our family become sick, when they are ill, when they suffer heart attacks, or when they are diagnosed with cancer, we pray hard and persistently for their recovery. We have to know that ultimately those prayers will not be answered affirmatively. Death is the reality that confronts us all, and Paul reminds us that the good news of the gospel is that we do not die as those who have no hope. Here, short-term answers may be yes, but in the end, all such prayers must end in disappointment. The Lord has never promised that God will give us everything we want. Jesus only promises that God will bring in his kingdom. Our prayers are encouraged to be persistently for the coming of the kingdom of God, not just for the coming of our own little private happiness. Isn't that the initial and the primary request found in the modal prayer? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Surely a parking place so that a woman can get to a meeting is not any more significant for the coming of God's great kingdom than for her to be able to show the goodness of God in wedded bliss. Still, prayer is not the means for getting what we want. Prayer is for placing ourselves in the path of receiving what God is preparing for us. Is it possible that when God does not give us what we persistently seek, he is giving us something far better, something that we didn't even know we needed? Pastor Brand says, where our requests are ignored may just be the place where God's dream is being born. Perhaps by refusing to give us what we want, God is drawing us to ask for something more, per more permanent, something far greater, something that will, will lead to great service and adventure in his cause. When Paul asked God to remove the thorn from his side, God's answer was no. 
but take a look around and see what the graces, what graces you have been given are enough for you. So you are disappointed in God and you want to teach him a lesson by never praying again. You want him to know that how angry you really are. So you, you won't ever attend the services of the church. Here's a question for you. Will you be better off without God because he would not answer this one prayer? Or are there enough other gifts and graces of God which would be sufficient for your needs? Earlier I spoke of a number of individuals whom we consider to be great saints. We saw how these saints made great requests of God only to be met by silence. What you should take away is that these great saints had the same struggles we have. Nevertheless, they were courageous and persevered to push through their doubts about God. They endured their own times of asking, where is God? Why is he silent? Perhaps God's silence is one of his greatest tools for cultivating our dependence upon him. I dare to believe that we can come to know that we are not alone, even though we feel as if we are alone. We can surely come to learn that God is exceedingly worthy of trust, even when our hearts are full of fear and our minds full of doubt. Our faith can be fortified when we believe that God is true to his word. After all, our God has promised, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will trust him even when I don't get what I want. Amen. Goosebumps. Mm. difference. We are a church of all volunteers. None of us here receive a paycheck, a salary, any kind of kickback. We are all volunteers here, including myself. We rely on our tithes from our, our, our congregants and from donations from people out there in YouTube world and in, 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 in our podcast land and for supporters of us. If you believe, if you believe in the message that we're trying to deliver here, the message we're trying to get out to the world of an all-inclusive, all-loving, all-forgiving God who loves all of his people and wants all of his people to be a part of his vine. Please consider making a donation to Dallas Universal Life Church. We could really use your help. Um, just go to DallasULC.com, click on Donate, and it would take you to a, a uh, secure page where you can donate to Dallas ULC. Um, all of your donations are tax deductible. We are a 501c3 tax deductible organization. We are a charity, and we would appreciate your help. Go to DallasULC.com and click on Donate. 
Now, often when I talk about this, I get somebody saying, you know, Bishop, I love the church. I do, and I want to help, but I'm broke. And I tell them, look, I'm broke too. So you can do what I do. I volunteer, and it's very simple. Just go to DallasULC.com, click on the button for volunteer. There you can see a list of the uh, positions we have available. If you don't see one there you like, please come on in anyway. Um, there's always something to do here. There's never enough hours in the day to get everything done, and we could use your help. So just simply go to DallasULC.com and click on volunteer. Compliments, concerns, suggestions, or complaints. If you have one of those, you're going to need one of these folks. That's an email address coming up, feedback at dallasulc.com. Pretty self-explanatory there. Pray at dallasulc.com. Pray at dallasulc.com. This is another another email address for you. Now, this one is for request for prayer. We pray every day here at Dallas, Dallas Universal Life Church. You can ask that your prayers be said during our everyday prayers or our, our, our service on Sunday during the prayers of intercession. You can remain anonymous or give us your name. All you have to do is send us an email. Pray at dallasulc.com. Okay. How long was that song? 20 seconds. Why was it 20 seconds long? Because it takes 20 seconds to kill viruses. To kill viruses like what? The coronavirus, like monkeypox, things like that. Common cold, the flu virus. Okay. Look, I'm tired of the song too. I'm tired of this, of having to say this announcement. And I know a lot of people in this world have gone back to some sort of normal life as it was before, if you want to call it that. But this thing has not gone away. It's still out there and it can still flare up. There are still people dying every day from coronavirus, believe it or not. So we cannot forget that when you do these things like washing our hands with soap and water for at least 20 seconds every time you touch something, basically. You know, because everything you touch is the potential to pass on a virus. Okay? Get vaccinated, folks. It's very simple to do. It saves lives, not only yours, but all of the people around you. Practice social distancing when, when, when possible and wear your masks when possible. The more we do this, the more we... Oh, Lord, have mercy. The, the Satan is after me today. He's trying to stop me. The more we do this... Okay, sorry for all of y'all. That was kind of loud. I'm probably not going to edit that out. So, see my miraculous catch there. Okay, before we do this, the more we do this, I'm sorry, the more we do this, the more we squash down this virus. Okay. It can't mutate and continue on to the next person, right? The more people that have the, the, the antibodies in their, in their system to stop it, the better we are. It eventually could, could go away. I doubt that it ever will, just like the flu didn't and things like that. Those are still here. But maybe someday we'll find a, 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 uh, a vaccine for it, a full vaccine that stops it. Let's hope. Let's pray. Okay. So please, wash your hands. It's the most basic thing you can do is wash your hands. 20 seconds, soap and water, paper towel, dry them off, use hand sanitizer if you can. Okay. I'm going to keep doing it until things until things get better, a lot better. Because, you know, who? Just because less people are dying, there's still people dying from this, from people not doing what they're supposed to be doing. Now, on a lighter note, did you know we had a podcast? We have a podcast. We do. We have a podcast. We had one for almost over five years now. So I'm glad you I'm glad you're asking that question. Yes, we do have a podcast, and uh, I find that if, if checking out our podcast. Um, 
I, I hear something different on the podcast whenever I listen to it. Uh, something different than the watching it on YouTube or even being here in person. It's just, I don't know what it is. It's something about that particular podcast. I, I just always catch something a little different. And I think it's an interesting way to look at things. If you see that out there, well, I, mean, you, I might be crazy, but all the people out there in podcast land, because now you can see us on Spotify now since we have video on Spotify. So there you are. I can see you. Hi, Spotify land. Let me know if you have the same feeling. There's a there's a link on, on the page there that you can talk back to us, and we'd love to hear from you. Let us know. Let me know. Do you feel that listening to our podcast is different than listening and watching us on YouTube or even being here in person if you've been here? Let me know. Am I crazy or... You tell me. Okay. I won't do that very often. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> so, you might just ask, Mr. Mark, how do I check out? How do I check out your podcast? Well, it's very simple. You go to your favorite web browser, your, your server, your uh, favorite uh, search engine. And, and type in your path with Bishop Mark, your path with Bishop Mark. Or you go to Alexa, and to Alexa you say, Alexa, play your path. Alexa, stop. And she'll play, Alexa, play your path. She'll play your path. Alexa, stop. See, there she goes. So you can do that with, with uh, Alexa as well. Um, or you can go check out our podcast on one of these wonderful providers that's out there for us, and that's going to be Anchor by Spotify, Stitcher, Radio Public, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Pocket Cast, CastBox, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio. Please check us out there. Okay, well, there's several other places too, but these are the ones that we know about and they have agreed with us to do it and we're very happy for that. Now I'm going to get a little break here because you're going to watch a video. Alzheimer's. This is 2021 Walking into Alzheimer's. This is uh, the church's sixth 
six years we've been here. Uh, we're very proud to be here. As many of you know, I lost my grandmother in 2019 uh, to Alzheimer's after a long battle. So we continue to come out and continue to support. And we're asking people to do the same thing. Check out uh, 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 DallasULC.com. Uh, that's where you can find all the information for our page and to donate. We really can use your help. Um, you know, if you're here to walk with us today, that's great. Please help us out in another way. Um, we appreciate your support of words and, and all of your encouragement. We're glad to be here at the 2021 Walk in Alzheimer's in Dallas. Here at City Hall. <laughs> and that's our good buddy Don, our congregate Don, uh, who lost his mother recently also to Alzheimer's. So look, Alzheimer's touches all of us in one way or another. And uh, you can use your help, help us support uh, finding a cure. Uh, as I said, we're, we're casting away the, the orange, we're getting away the orange flowers this year, but there we were longing for a white flower. That white flower is the one that was the first one that, uh, first survivor, first survivor of, uh, of all time. And we hope for that real, real, real soon. And with your help, we can do that. The, uh, the email address, the, the, the address there. Let me see if I can back it up and see get to that real quick. If it'll let me. Yeah, right there. Right there, back there. Stop right there. Okay, let me see that there. Okay. HTTP forward slash, or colon forward slash forward slash act.alz.org act.alz.org forward slash go to slash Dallas ULC. Very simple. act.alz.org slash go to slash Dallas ULC. That's where you go to sign up to join us on November the 5th or donate to our 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 our, uh, our uh, group for November the 5th to help find a cure for Alzheimer's okay I'm, I'm gonna be going over this over and over again this month because it's November the 5th is coming up it's less than two weeks about two weeks away now right something like that okay so remember that Friday before the 4th on November the 4th we have a sleepover it's encouraged that if you're in the walk you come to the sleepover because we will be leaving very very early Saturday morning and it's much easier when we're all together okay we have a good time. It's a nice, nice way to have some fellowship and, you know, have some refreshments and relax with everybody, okay? So, Friday the 4th, doors will close at 10 o'clock. You must be here by 10 p.m., okay? If you're not here by 10 p.m., that door will not reopen after 10 p.m. I don't care, in or out. It's not opening. That's it, okay? Then the next day, we'll go to City Hall, okay? If you miss us here, we'll be at City Hall. 9 o'clock is when, when, this, when this thing starts, okay? All right. act.alz.org slash go to slash Dallas will see. Please consider making a donation. Okay. Guess what? What? You made it. You made it through. Let us rise for our dismissal, please.
A bishop a day keeps the devil away. You're listening to Your Path with Bishop Mark from Dallas Universal Life Church in Dallas, Texas. Like what you not like, what do you want to keep? What do you want to get rid of? The parable of the persistent widow. I liked at the end how it said that will you still be able to have faith on earth? I think it was referring to an old uh, part of the testament where, like, um, it says that only 100 faithful will be at the side of Jesus. The rest will be resurrected on earth. It's something that I disagree with as far as when it comes to Jehovah Witnesses. I think everyone's going to go to heaven, you know, but... So... So, but... I, I think... I know, I know you, you like to think that, Gavin. I'm going to stop for just a second. Because you and I have, have a, a disagreement about this. You don't believe in hell. I believe in the separation of... Like, I guess that person in God, like, for that's hell, exactly. That in of itself is hell. When you separate yourself from God, you are in hell, period. Without God, we are not. So, remember, I just want to point this out to you again one more time, just trying to convince you a little bit more about the work. We do believe in the same thing. I think you say when you don't believe in hell, I think you really do. It's just you're calling it something different. Remember we talked about the universe always being in balance, right? True. It's always balanced. So, you know, everything has got an opposite. You've got love, you've got hate, you've got joy, you've got pain. We cannot appreciate love unless you understand hate. You can't. It's just impossible. Think about it. If you are 12 years old and your puppy love, right? I've been told you this before, your puppy love. That's love. That's you're in love. Oh my God, you're in love. You're love. You're love. That same year, they bully you at school. They, you get kicked off of the football team. You uh, start failing your classes, and the teachers start getting on you. And um, you feel hate. You are disliked. You are shunned. You are you're hated. They hate you. The next year, you're a superstar. You get the quarterback position. You get. All A's. You're on the honor roll. Everybody loves you. All of a sudden, you're great. You're loved. You're loved again, right? So you had that puppy love, right? You know what that puppy love feels like. But it's nothing like having gone through the hate now, having experienced that hate and that just that, that shunning the hate of what love really means now, because you appreciate it much more, right? Okay. So you understand that? That's what I'm talking about. That opposite. That's opposite. The universe will always be equal. So you have this place called heaven. over here. Does that make sense? There's got to be, there's a heaven. If there really even heaven, there's got to be something on the other end of the, on the other side of the scale. Okay? You don't have to call it hell. You call it whatever you want to call it. Call it disconnected from the aqua or whatever. But there's a place for those souls who are lost. Those souls who are unwilling to make a change. Unwilling to trust in God, believe in God, live a good life. 
those who with full intent and knowledge live a sinister, sinful, hateful life without ever repenting. Those people, yes, God forgives them. But I have said before, God's a parent. And if God doesn't punish, he's not doing his job. Because without it, and without that being there, we, we won't appreciate wanting to be in, in heaven. Again, uh, the, the opposite direction there. Right. Without knowing about hell, right. we won't appreciate heaven so much, right? right? Think about that. That's very good. I like that. That's a glass half full, glass, glass half full or, or half empty. Yeah, that's very good. I never, yeah, I've never thought of it that way. Think about it that way. So we know about hell. So we appreciate heaven so much more, right? We've been given a gift. A huge gift of, well, first of all, is life. Okay? And then the second one is, is life. Um, you know, think about what if, it, what if it was all over when you die? What if that was it? You worked all your life. Have family, you've done some wonderful things for the world, and you'll be remembered. But that's it. Your soul is gone. That's no such thing. It's gone. Over. Oh, that's it. Black out. Gone. That's kind of scary. This, yeah, that would kind of definitely leave a black cloud. My just probably. It would. It would. Well, first of all, I think it would make it to where. Why the hell would you want to live? I would be very selfish. If that were the case, I'd be wanting to live life to the fullest, get everything I can get, enjoy everything I possibly can enjoy. You know, every sit out there I'd be doing, you know, 24-7, all the time. I'm not going to sleep. I can, I'm, I can sleep when I'm dead, right? I, I think it would make our, our society, our world, like that. We wouldn't survive it. No way. I think, yeah, but... Uh, my mentality would probably be a little bit opposite of that one. How's that? Well, it's kind of similar, but kind of opposite. Okay, tell me about it. Talk to me. The thing yeah. is, it would be different nonetheless. But, hold on, hold on. Like, <laughs> the primary thing is, I would be wanting to actually help people more. I, wanted, I would want Why? to better the world. Why? Because... There's I no would, reward for that except for bettering the world. There's no reward for you at the end. Nobody's going to tell you good job. They give you, you know, that's it. It's over with. It's it. You have one life to live. And then you're done. It's, it's in. There's nothing else. You're gone. I'd still want to better the world. I hope so. That, that's, that's, that's commendable. I, I hope that's the case. I think most people would not. Most people would be that would be selfish and, and, and grab all they can get. Enjoy life to the fullest. It's like, you know, people, you see, we've heard people, then they, and they know they're going to pass away. Some people, they'll go and max all their credit cards out and live, go to Vegas and do their thing and, you know. Okay. That's what I think would happen every day if we had that kind of life. Yeah. We wouldn't think about tomorrow because we don't know if tomorrow's going to come or not. So we're just going to live for, like, right now. Well, you live for right now, but we're also yeah. living with the promise, with the promise that there is tomorrow after right. death. Right? You understand? I think if we didn't have that promise of life after death, I think if we didn't have that, I, I don't think we'd have a lot to live for. I mean, let me put it this way. We change that. 
we'd have everything to live for. In other words, we want to do everything now and, and experience everything. And, 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 and no good work? I'm not going to work. Why would I go to work? Well, I'm going to die someday. Well, I'm going to be over with. It's going to be gone. I'm not working. I'll get the whip. <laughs> the whole <laughs> like the discovery aspect of like you know humans and us trying to build ourselves and get better wouldn't happen. Because Why? We wouldn't. We don't get. We don't really care. Experience it. Why? Die. There's no. There's no. Without the the threat of hell. Why not? Why? Why uh, abstain from sinning? Hmm. Without the threat of hell, why abstain from sinning? Because it's the right thing to do. There is no. Who says it's right? Right. What's right? Why is it we and who matters if you do right or wrong? I mean, there's no punishment. The punishment is actually seeing probably the negative effects and consequences that it has, on not, not just on you, but on those around you. What if it's everybody else doing that, though, Gavin? What if everybody in the world is living life to the fullest? Okay, you imagine it this way. Okay, a meteor is coming toward the Earth. It's going to hit Earth head on. It's going to blow us up. We're all going to die. And there's no he no heaven or no hell. There's nothing after this. It's just, oh, you're just, it's like turning the TV off and watching the old two TVs and the two TVs and it goes off. That's it. Nothing blackness. That's it. It's over. There's nothing, nothing else. Okay? The rest of the world is going to go nuts. They're going to be looting. They're going to be doing all sorts of adult things. They're going to be, right. you know, drinking and partying and doing drugs and, and, and just going crazy, right? Living it up because it's the end of the world. Do you really think that you're still going to have that, that attitude of, I'm going to do right? Because if you are, if you do, I, I, I first say, God bless you and, and I hope that you're able to do so. If you can do that, you're a saint. And then I'm going to tell you, I think you need to go look in the mirror again. Because when you think about the people that didn't have the religion aspect of it and stuff that were like just crazy about everything, Romans, like they like they went out and they just killed people straight up, whoever. Romans were very powerful, they were. Yeah, they were powerful because they didn't have that sort of care for other people. They just cared about themselves and were very much there for them and not for other people. And so they eventually because eventually they didn't have any mind of their own and they were... Don't get me wrong, like, I, they kind of caved in to the majority rule. And don't sense. we all? Don't we all? Uh, thank God, no. Mm. I think a lot of us do. I think a lot of us do. We do our hair a certain way. We wear certain clothes. We like to be seen drinking certain drinks, like sort of fashionable, like Monster. Oh, let's not get twisted, I just like okay. Monster a lot. <laughs> Look at our laws. Look at our, our country. I mean, we've talked about this before. Our country is based on Christianity. And it is. That's where our country was, our laws were written with Christianity. One nation under God. Correct. Under God, but look, the people that founded our country were Christian. And this was a built we are separation of church and state, yes. But there's still law our laws were based in Christianity. Okay? In Roman times, they didn't have that, you're right. And they were very powerful. Yeah. They were. But were they doing the right thing? No. They were doing terrible stuff. <laughs> terrible things. Terrorizing a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> Bad. So let's talk about let's talk about and then what?
<laughs> that was the title of today's sermon. And then what? And then? Well, what was it about? What's this about? Well, tell this quick. I mean, this is a long sermon. There's a lot in there. A lot of stories. A lot of proof of what I'm talking about. What's the whole message here? The whole message hmm? would be letting faith guide you, number one. Letting what? Letting faith guide you. The okay. realization that not everyone's going to live up to those standards. What, I mean, what about God living up to your standards? You're the one that keeps calling here and asking for all this. What if he doesn't answer? What if you don't get an answer? Which we have had happen. Maintaining that faith even in the darkest hours. And realizing that sometimes God gives us what we need and not what we want. Or both. Sometimes what we need is what we want. But very rarely are they the same. Honestly. about it is it's it was it happened and that it's for whatever you know your plan in life <laughs> your life it'll happen regardless and you you just need to grow and, and realize that it could just be for the best for you you don't know Tim likes to use a, a phrase um, leave it at the foot of the cross right he never understood what that meant it means a lot of things but leave it at the foot of the cross. And here's what I'm going to say. When it comes to these questions like this, like God, you know, you didn't answer you, leave it at the foot of the cross. Because there's a reason. There's a reason that people die. We all have to. There's a reason people die when they die. Okay? There's a reason that everything in our life happens for a reason. There is no coincidence in this world. Everything is planned out. It's done. Yes, we're given free will. But God knows exactly what we're going to choose before we choose it. Trust me. He's all-knowing. But it's our choice, too. But what you need to understand is... Leave it at the cross. Don't dwell on it. Don't harp on the fact that God didn't answer you. Don't give up on God. Like the person said at the beginning of our story. I'm no longer going to... You didn't answer me. My, my loved one died. And I'm not... I'm not going to go to church anymore. I'm not going to talk to God anymore. I'm just cutting myself off. There's hell. On earth. One of my favorite... my favorite... Um, Bible verses. Prayers in the Bible. It was here today. I used today. It was when Jesus was in Gethsemane. And the, 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 the writer, he said, Matthew Seth says it so vividly. You know what I mean? He talks about Jesus sweating blood, sweating tears of blood, sweating blood through his. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was that, he was that. My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And he prayed, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. He's begging him. I'm scared, Dad. I'm scared. I don't want to do this. Don't make me do this, please. But if it's your will, I'll do it. But I really don't want to. Please take it away, if you can.
We've talked about it before, Jesus dying alone on the cross when he's saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And there's some different ways we've talked about that, Jesus dying alone on the cross. Why didn't God, why wasn't God there? Some say, well, if God was there, we killed God that day. Because Jesus and God are one. Lots of questions that be answered at the lead of the cross there. But know this. God is always with us. You are never alone. Ever, ever, ever alone. I, I hate to always bring up, but you know, it's, it's hard for me not to bring up examples in my life like that because it's just what I, what I had to teach you. And bring up a, a time that was very trying and, and most people wouldn't really understand unless they'd been through something like that, but when we had the robbery here. And there were guns and there was things going on and, and it was, I, I complied as best, you know, everything I asked for, I, was, I gave them. That's what I've always been taught and it's what I, my life is not that important. Take, take what you want, you know? Or my life is more important than the stuff, that's what I'm trying to say, right? At one point, I, I felt one of the guys, I was sitting on the couch here, and I knew one of the guys was behind me, and I knew what was coming. I knew he was, he had something in his hand, and he was going to choke me out. I knew that was coming, because I, I just knew, I just felt it. And an incredible calm came over me. Most people would think about that, and you'd be like, oh my God, you'd, you'd scream and yell, and, and I would have thought, and... At that point, there was no, there was no winning that battle. I, there was no way I could win that battle. They had guns, and there was two of them, and there was no. If I was going to fight back, I was going to die. So, an incredible calm came over me. That I just kind of I, I came to the conclusion. I came to the realization that my life was going to end that night. Honestly, this is really honest, honest to God, a feeling that I had, and I was at peace with that. And I knew that I wasn't alone. And even through when he tried to choke me out and I fell, and then he started beating me with the, the baton, as I was going across the room trying to stand up and just trying to get away from him, I, you'll see the video, I hand, ran into the, the monitor over here, the Macintosh, and I was blacking out. And even then I was, I felt, I was, I, was, I felt the blows, obviously, but I, I felt almost like being cradled. I mean, it's, it's the strangest thing. You're thinking about this horrible, horrible thing happening to you. You're getting beat up and robbed. And, and uh, it was an amazing feeling of just being held. So I know that God is always with us. A lot of bad things happen in the world. But they happen for a reason. We may not always know the answer. We may always get an answer. And the answer we get may not be the one we want. God's going to do what's best for us. He is the ultimate super parent. Where's that S on his shirt? <laughs> right? S S G, super God, right? He is. I mean, that's what he is. That's what every parent should aspire to be. It's like God. Okay. So what about that? Do you have any thoughts on that? Thoughts on about God not answering you? About any of that? Anything you want to talk about? Anything, I didn't mean to bring the mood down. 
Well, I would say if anyone ever tried to do that to you again, I'd roast them and turn them to ash. Well, let's hope that that never happens again. Um, again, we cannot change other people, but we can change our circumstances, we can change the way we do things, we can change it. And unfortunately, we have to do that. And, and I don't like the fact that I have to be more cautious, more secure around the house, and I have to be more, um, what is the word I'm looking for, um, non-trusting of people. I wish I could trust everybody. I do. I really honestly do. I wish I could trust everybody. But to have to look over your shoulder all the time, to have to be watching people, right. watching their movements, seeing who they are, you know. That sucks. That's a waste of time to me. I hate that. But it's necessary. Because I cannot go through I don't. I don't want to go through that again. I, I don't say I cannot because God won't give me more than I can handle. But I don't want to go through it again. Sometimes God gives us these lessons to teach us for the future. Maybe something could have happened a lot worse in the future. And God said, okay, you got to learn this. you got to learn that you can't keep, keep trusting everybody like that. You can't keep letting everybody come in your home. You can't, you can't just turn your back and, and trust that this person's not going to to take everything you got. Right? Sometimes you have to look at it that way. But we don't know for sure. You know, the nuns, I told you about the nuns used to tell me at St. Monica when I was at school there that we'd ask them these, these questions like this. You know, questions that you, life questions, you know. Why are we, why are we, what's the, what's the meaning of life and all this? And they would look at us and the day that you die and go to heaven and meet God, all of your questions that you ever had will be answered. Now, I still think that, that was a cop-out. I still think that's their way of saying, shut up, kid, I'm trying to teach math up here, you know? But, you know, wouldn't that be amazing if that was true? If all these questions, what is the meaning of life? What is this? What is that? What, why did this happen? Da, 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 da. All those questions, if all that happened when, when we died and we were, we were able to get those answers, wouldn't that be amazing? What about before then? Yeah. Wouldn't that be badass? Well, I mean, it would be badass, but that's a lot of knowledge. And you know what? We are not... With knowledge comes power. We know that. God is all-knowing, all-powerful. We're not ready for that much knowledge. I think God's having to move us up slowly. Right. Knowledge, knowledge, there's a lot of responsibility that comes with knowledge. Sometimes people, you know, you wish you didn't know so you didn't have to, to be, there's certain rules you wish, I mean, there's no, the laws in, in like the United States, if you don't know the law, that's no excuse. You can still, you know, if you don't know it's illegal to rob a bank and you rob the bank, you're still gonna go to jail, okay? But say that you, you know, a morality law, like a, 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 a law that you only be in church, like, you know, um, premarital sex. You don't know that that's wrong. You were ever taught that was wrong. So you, you can have you have premarital sex. You don't know. Nobody told you. But then somebody comes along and tells you, hey, you know, that's a sin, what you're doing. You, you can't be you can't be doing it. God doesn't want you doing all that. <laughs> right? So then, then you have to, go, really? Where, show it. Tell me. And you read in the Bible and you read all this stuff, right? And they go, oh, well, I think you can't have premarital sex anymore. So sometimes, sometimes uh, ignorance is bliss, is what I'm trying to say there. Ignorance is bliss. Does that make sense? No, Look, look, I mean, don't, don't judge me on that. I'm trying to say, look, everybody knows that, that, that sin can be gratifying at times, especially instant gratifying. But in the long run, it's not worth it, right? It's selfish. Sin is selfish, right? So what I'm trying to say is, when you're able to self-gratify yourself that way and get the instant gratification, it's kind of nice, you know, you like that. Oh, that's fun. 
you know, you're not looking at the long, long-term picture. And then when you're told all of a sudden, you can't do that, you didn't know it was wrong, but you, you can't be doing that, you know, that's not right, then you have to stop all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what I'm saying. Ignorance can be bliss, you know? Yeah, because I mean, like... Did that come out? Like, that probably came out completely wrong the way I was trying to, to, to explain I, I think what you're trying to say is basically, I get what you're saying as far as ignorance being bliss, but at the same time, you have to be able to see further down the road because so if you, you do. don't, you're right. Then, but that's where, where those steps come in, that little by little. But you didn't, you weren't told. You were never told that this, this particular act was wrong. You were never told. In fact, people around you lived that way. You didn't know. And if, if sin didn't feel good to do or didn't have a, its its uh, perks to right. it, then there wouldn't there everybody would be sinless. <laughs> if there was if there was no gratification in it, there was no stimulus yeah. from it. Why would we do it? Nobody would sin. Everybody <laughs> would do everything perfectly because and uh, but then that's that's the that's the temptation. That's the problem. That sin offers that instant gratification. That that mm-hmm. get those endorphins going right when. In the long run, if you think about the consequences of your sin, who it's hurting. Some people say some of the sins, it's 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 not hurting anybody else, I'm not hurting anybody else, it's it's consensual between adults and we're we're doing it. Maybe. I feel like that's the test that he put in place for us to, 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 you know, find out. Do you really think God tests us? Well, I think he wouldn't make a... Uh, he wouldn't make those sins be able, like, you know, sins considered, like, you know, there is, he would make those things up. You want to talk about good and evil, though? Yeah. You gotta have a balance in this kind of this universe. God made this universe, and he made everything balanced, right? Yeah. So, and he just wants people to follow the good. He but, does. But he also makes the bad toward, you the know. The bad's there. It's gotta be there. It's gotta be the other end, end, yeah. end of the scale, right? So that way you can, you can try to do better for everybody else. There's a reason we're here. I can't tell you what it is, but I can tell you this. We are here to learn. Period. I know that. We are here to learn. And it's my belief that that, that this knowledge, because if you look at our lives, we're all learning the same thing in life. Basic, you know, the basic skills in life, we're learning those basic morality laws, right? The basic how to live, how to be Christ-like, right? We're all learning. Thou shalt not steal. Yeah, well, of course, yes. We're all learning that. So I believe that it's necessary for us to have this knowledge when we move on to the next part of our life, when our soul, our, this body is shed and we move on to the next dimension. I believe that we are required to have that knowledge. If we don't have that knowledge, it would be rather detrimental to us. You know. Mm-hmm. So that's why I, I, I think that... I'm not sure I would call it tests. I don't think God... I don't think God wants us to fail. He's not going to put roadblocks in front of us. But he may put something in front of us to teach us a lesson. Yeah. Not a test, but a teaching tool. Yeah. Right? Because he, he has to... Uh, it's for judgment, right? And like, you know, all that other stuff. God is the only, the only judge. That yeah, he, he's the one that would judge it. So he, right. he would be the one that would make... Usually the judge would be kind of the ones that make the rules per se. Right. That sort of system. But, like, but he's bound to obey those rules. They're right. bound to... To and enforce them and enforce them. like that. God made the rules and he can enforce them. So that's it. Yeah. And the rules make a lot of sense. Don't they? Think about it. Not really, because sometimes, like in the Old Testament, like you said, those inspired rules. by... I'm talking about those rules. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about love one another the way I have loved you. It's the only commandment Jesus gave. So... 
This widow is persistent. She bugs the judge, this crooked judge, over and over and over and over and over and over, over again, right? And the judge finally says, look, I don't want to deal with you anymore. Fine. Here. Here's your, what you wish. Now, lesson here is that's not always going to happen. You can do the same to God, right? But, but you may not always get what you want. You can't, there's that song, you can't always get what you want. But if you find some time, you just might find, you get what you need. The point is, look, I, mean, I think the point is pretty obvious here. Ask and ask and ask and ask and ask. And you shall receive. I want you to listen to this. Ask and you shall receive. That doesn't mean you're going to receive what you asked for. Does it? A lot of people think, oh, ask and I shall receive. Well, I asked and I didn't receive it, God. What's the deal? No, you received something. You received what you needed. Even nothing is something. If you got nothing, you got what you needed. You gotta keep asking. So. <laughs> Does that make sense? You, you could ask. And, and God listens. He does. He knows our desires, but He does. Part of our worshiping Him and praising Him is our prayer to Him. But I like the, the, the phrase you hear about prayer is not asking for something. Prayer is putting ourselves in position to receive God's gifts. I love that. I mean, I think about being on a path and just moving a little bit over and receiving. Yeah. yeah you can't receive unless you, you... Yeah, but further down that path. And if you get off that path, you're not getting those gifts. You're missing out. Mm-hmm. And we all know we like free gifts. We get all the infomercials on TV at night. About free gifts. And buy one and give it this. And did, but act now! You know? <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> For real. That's how they That's not numbers. all. <laughs> and they got your number. Low interest payments. Well, God's saying, act now. Mm-hmm. Get in the path where I'm, where I'm trying to help you. Mm-hmm. So, be persistent that. in your prayer. Don't give up. Keep asking. And again, if you're not getting what you want, Ask God why. Again, you're not always going to get the answer, or the answer you want, even. But it helps to ask. God will answer if you can, if it's good for you, if you need to know. Sometimes you'll be surprised at the things He'll tell you. I'm serious. If you're, I hope y'all are still doing this. I hope y'all are listening to me about this. Take your ten minutes a day for your meditation time to clear your thoughts, clear your mind, open your heart and your soul, and listen. Just shut up and listen. Please do that. If you do nothing else that I teach you, do that, and I guarantee you your life will change. And it will change for the better. Because you will get the instruction that you need. He will talk to you. Do you really think God would put us down here and not be able to say a word to us? The way He could do it is we're writing, you know, stuff in the sky and doing volcanoes and, and lightning and all that. No. He can talk to you. We just have to listen. And the only way to do that is to clear all that junk out that's going on all the time in your head. All that, all that, those voices going, you gotta do this, did you pay that bill? Oh, did you leave the stone water? Okay, you're gonna be late. Let all that go for a minute. Just 10 minutes a day, it's nothing. 10 minutes out of the day. And listen. It works. It changed my life. 
and there's been times I can do it. I don't have a, a real quiet place to go do it. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you don't have that. You're out doing whatever. I'll stop right there and just find a place. Even if it's just even if it's on the bus, I'll just close my eyes on the bus and just let it all go. But, you know, you're gonna get interrupted at times, but it's okay. It's life. It's God. It's the devil trying to tap in and go, hey, 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 come over here, come over here. Sounds more like Beetlejuice. <laughs> Shut up and listen. Shut up and listen. Shut up and listen. Shut up and listen. I'm not going to tell you again. Shut up and listen. Okay? Alright. Anything else for me today, guys? Thank you for all of your help today. I do appreciate it. It was a long day, and I know we were running a little late, and I apologize about that. Gavin, you're going to learn how to do this program right. I'm going to get you down. We're going to get it down, because uh, I want to see your creativity blossom. So I'm going to teach you the right way. you got to promise me you're going to try and learn it. And put some dedication into it, and, and you know, really put your heart and soul into it, like I do, because that's what it takes to make it to make it work. If people are in this church are doing things behind the scenes and they're not putting their heart and soul into it, they're not putting 100 percent into it, they're not believing what they're doing is causing good or, or helping the world, then it's not going to. And my apologies for the roasting. We'll get there. We'll get there. I tend to be old protective. We'll get there. Okay? Alright, let's circle up and pray our way out of here. Okay. Oh, I almost did it again. This microphone and I are just going to go round and round. And then what? <laughs> right. Short and sweet. Father in heaven, thank you for this opportunity to come together this afternoon and this evening to worship you and give you thanks for all that you have given us. We are so very, very grateful. Lord, we ask that, if at all possible, you answer when we need it. And only you are the one who knows when we need it. And we ask that you continue to guide us on our paths and help us to receive the gifts that you are also offering us so freely and so generously. We ask all of this through Christ our Lord. Amen. All right, guys, break it down. Lights all the way down into the thing. Gavin, yes. this pulpit needs to go behind the altar and the altar needs to go straight back. You got it.